certainly not going to answer an email. Oh, it takes the day off. Wow. All of a sudden, it's like the world is my place where I don't have to answer an email. I think I'll go sit on my cooler next to the stick and say stuff to people as they walk by. Now, that's what I call the old labor diver. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shroom for Two, where today day is Labor Day. I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. This is how topsy-turvy the world has gotten, where we are doing work on this podcast on Labor Day. And by doing work, we mean looking at old episodes of Harmstar Runner to find jokes to say. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't want to get caught misreferencing something. We'll lose all our cool guy cred that I pretend we have. That's very true. Uh, so speaking of cool guy cred, tell me about the uh, weird crap you're doing with Infinity, Mike. Right. Following up on last week's card of the week, the Imp Throwing Imp, I messed around a little bit more with that card. Uh, not as much as I did with the other heroes. I mostly stuck to uh, messing around with Infinity because all of the splash damage stuff that is available to Crazy works really well with the... Uh, with the uh, imp ability, and uh, I decided to really go all out and try to take as much advantage as I could of the whole uh, imp throwing imp clogging your lanes with a bunch of little creatures. I'm trying to live the dream of doing Zombot's Wrath for 6 damage. In fact, I'm even trying to do Zombot's Wrath for 12 damage, because I'm running a couple of binary stars in there as well. Oh, seems good. Okay, so you're trying to send 12 damage to the dome for only 3, three cost. Really... The stars... The binary stars have yet to align. Right, yeah. yeah. Usually there's enough other things going on this in this deck where I can win. Like, there's, it's doing the Space Cowboy in the Graveyard Lane thing, and there's a couple of Plank Walkers in there. And, you know, one, I guess Plank Walker is good for filling up your board for your better Zombus Wrath, but if you play Plank Walker, you probably win already. Yeah, that's sort of like saying that, uh, you know, it's really easy to your garden if you get a steam shovel and it's like well okay you don't really have a garden anymore you're already kind of done I'm even running the uh, gas giant as well as another source of uh, doing a bunch of damage to stuff and I I sent you a funny screen cap earlier today of uh, of a gas giant that I had poisoned from a infinity superpower that was sitting on a hot lava and so the lava would interact and damage the uh, the gas giant which would then do deadly damage to everything on the field, which uh, in my opponent's case was a Sergeant Strongberry and a Strawberryan that had gotten sunstriked. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I found like the the one-up answer to uh, getting hit by sunstrike is uh, hot lava deadly splash damage. Seems good. Yeah, I think one thing I learned about the uh, Imp Throwing Imp from playing around with this is that one of its bigger detriments is that since it randomly fills up your lanes it makes it harder to do, to, um, to do the space cowboy thing where you hide it in the graveyard lane in lane 2 and then let uh, it yes. hit, hit you for 4 four times like it's uh, throwing in and throwing imp out there ahead of time jeopardizes the ability to do that as cleanly as one would like yeah you know I mean in in that kind of case you know Space Cowboy is really a very different plan, you know, sort of like it, it also kind of fills up space that would otherwise be used by 
plank walker tokens. Um, but you know, that's you're you're kind of running on parallel tracks in that case. Yeah, it's such a good plan that I try to run it in every deck I'm throwing together in those colors. But yeah, this has been fun. I got I got a six damage Zombots Wrath from having the field clear once, and I got a six damage Zombots Wrath from uh, just having binary stars out one time. Yeah, binary. I love binary stars. Just that dealing double damage just causes wacky things to happen, uh, usually involving someone getting killed. Um, and so that's uh, that's a fun card to experiment with for sure. Double is a pretty fun keyword. Yeah, the fact that it also, as a three power creature, gets bullseye from Disco Knot um, is just like that's just super dirty. Six six bullseye damage out of nowhere is just like your toast. Yeah, those are some. Uh pretty spooky add-ons that were like like they're very core components to uh to crazy and doing that kind of damage and they're they're a hell of an upgrade built on what the uh the core game offers with the dancer synergy yeah both from galactic garden i mean like you know we've talked a bunch about how galactic gardens was just kind of a totally busted set or at least at the power level was was really quite a bit higher than the core set was and uh, I think you can look at both of those cards to say, wow, they, they really hit the gas on those. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? Oh, I did end up seeing Ready Player One on one of my uh, many airplanes I took last month. Oh, no kidding. Was it bad? Uh, short answer, yeah. It's pretty tacky. Like, it, the book was better, but the book would have made for a less interesting movie because, like, of the the tasks of the puzzle are, like, you know, obviously doing, like, a crazy street race against a T-Rex and King Kong is more exciting than playing Joust against some D&D boss skeleton. Right, sure. <laughs> the casting was pretty good, though. They got the cool black lesbian from Master of None to play the cool black lesbian. And I think they got the bartender from Deadpool who played a character who was never seen in real life, only his uh, in-game avatar, and he was like a like a hitman who had a skull for a torso, and all of his guns had a bunch of skulls on them, and all of his bombs had skulls on them. Having a skull for a torso is something that I could imagine like some ultra-goth teenage future person would want to do. So, A-plus for verisimilitude. Did you see Deadpool? Do you know the character I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This this guy is in, um, he's the guy from Silicon Valley. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, TJ Miller. Okay, all right. Yeah, oh yeah, he's great. Have you seen that? I have not gotten around to that yet, no. Oh, I just, I'm, when the show is over, I will show you that. I just started watching The Americans, so that's been taking up my, my content binge slot. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's on the list of it that I know I should watch. Apparently it's on Amazon Prime Video, which I uh, am begrudgingly paying for for another year because the transaction went through and I forgot to do anything just about voting with my wallet. Oh, bummer. Yeah, I um, I have that set up to cancel, but I'm going to probably have to manually pull the lever when it does happen. All right, everybody, time for everybody's favorite segment card of the week. Uh, this week we got Thinking Cap, the brainy gourmet trick that costs four. And it says Conjure Two Superpowers. So this is a very powerful card that has, for most of its existence, been plagued by being quite slow. Would you agree with that, Mike? Biggest drawback of this card is uh, finding the time to reserve four brains to do nothing and 
Well, probably nothing on that turn unless you've got one of the uh, the big two enablers out on the field as well, either the Zombology Teacher or Dr. Spacetime. Those are the best um, the best other things to put in a deck you want to run Thinking Cap in. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the, the other sort of two-and-a-half combo piece, I would say, is Cheese Cutter, because when Cheese Cutter gives you a gourmet card, one of the things that Cheese Cutter can give you is a three-mana Thinking Cap, and in that case, you know, spent on turn four, playing Thinking Cap and then playing one of the superpowers really is quite good. And uh, that's kind of the best thing about Zombology Teachers, that Zombology Teacher, you're able to say, play it, play the three mana Thinking Cap, and then the the tricks cost zero. That's kind of like the best case scenario with that. And the uh, as we know from things like uh, Quasar and so on, that uh, Conjure Superpower is really quite a powerful effect. Um, you know, that's like probably two, like probably one and a half to two and a half cards worth of value in that way. Situational, of course, you know, like if you get the freeze all plants on the ground and there's like everything nasty is happening in the heights, then oops. But um, the average case is really quite good. It is probably the most infuriating card I play against as a, as a plant player. Quasar or Thinking Cap? Thinking Cap. There's such a wide pool of superpowers that can get conjured, and sometimes you'll run into one of them being the huge Giganicus super that makes everything else cheaper, including the other superpower they just conjured, which then they can also play for free. It it has the potential to very quickly get a game out of your hands. Certainly the... Um... The possibility space is quite large, and there are some extremely nasty outcomes in there. Um, I think that you're right on the money that the nastiest one to get is the HG Ultimate, the Terraformer 10,000. Getting the um, deal three, gain three from Electric Boogaloo or moving to a bonus attack from Super Brains are, like, are really quite nasty and can, can swing a game in your favor. Or even just a, a poorly timed uh, cut down to size or a smash to superpower to take out whatever thing you were relying on to win you the game. Like, there's that level of randomness involved in it as far as, like, oh, yeah, I'm pulling the slot machine, and I'm wondering which amazing game-breaking thing I'm going to be able to do this time, and it's, oh, this one. So you're you're getting the scorn of having a very good card played against you, but also the scorn of that card being generated for your opponent and it being the thing that would get them out of the situation. It is super infuriating. Yeah, there's the there's a the feel bads quotient is quite high, I would say. Um, but you know, I mean the um, the sort of low end case is can be really quite nothing at all. You know, like you could get like the make two dancers, uh, and then a zombie hides in a gravestone, draw a card. There's definitely some stinkers in the mix, um, and you know there are plenty of circumstances where like the the a zombie gets plus three attack kind of superpower is really not going to change the board state at all. And so, you know, sort of in that way where the, the if you get your ultimate superpower in your opening hand or, um, you know, if Quasar gives them the, the bomb removal spell that it can really swing the game, Thinking Cap is very swingy. Yeah, and you get two, two runs at it, too, which is a big help because you only need one of these to hit on something good. And there are a whole bunch of them out there that work as small damage removal that, you know... Any one of the number of lightning bolt or rolling stone equivalents you can get is uh, good enough to get you out of the situation. And the other big thing this card has going for it is that it is a trick that will create more tricks. 
So that's it, right. It, it, it feeds very well to the trickster business. Yeah, it immediately has a case to be put in trickster decks, at least as like a two of, just being able to, you know, you're generating a whole bunch of brains from all the ramp and stuff, so you have that extra four or five to burn on the tricks phase, and being able to possibly lower your trickster by three in one turn is uh, not a lot of other cards can do that for you. I would agree with that. Um, so, so to think about um, how this card fits into the zombie player's plan is also to kind of think about how to beat it. So, like, if you're taking time off to play a thinking cap, hoping that it will swing the board in your favor, that's kind of not too dissimilar from saying, okay, once I have six mana, I'll play a defensive end, and then the defensive end will swing the game in my favor. You're kind of throwing a haymaker in that way. And so the way you can beat someone who's throwing a haymaker is by being faster than them. Um, so if I was going to be playing a bunch of thinking cap decks, uh, which getting to that a bit, little bit later, I will be over the course of the next week. Um, the kind of thing that I would hate to see would be like berries or something that's going to punish me for like dirtling around. Forget me not. Also, a uh, a big handicap of this kind of thing. Oh, of course. Getting the uh, the plus one on both the the card itself and the superpowers. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a one two punch uh, in that way built into just that one card. Um, and then so um, you could also think about um, the enablers for this kind of strategy um, listed previously as Dr. Space Time and Zombology Teacher, uh, you know, with Cheese Cutter kind of thrown in there as a bonus. Those cards are very fragile in terms of being able to be hit by removal spells. So Zombology Teacher as an X1 kind of dies to most things. Cheese Cutter being a 2-2 uh, is not all that different. And Space Time... Uh, while having a big butt on his own, is still vulnerable to a lot of very good spells. So you got Hammer and you've got Shrinking Violet come to mind immediately as things that will that will really kind of get him. Um, and the unfortunate thing uh, on the zombie player side in this case is your thing that you want to do with your enablers is more expensive than they are. So that means that if you're, the plant player has extra time to play their more expensive removal spells to beat your enabler. So, like, if I play Dr. Spacetime on turn two, um, and you play a hammer on turn three, I haven't gotten a chance to play my thinking cap yet, which means that the Dr. Spacetime didn't help me at all. Um, whereas if you've got something like, um, say you're doing a berry thing, and your creatures kind of naturally chain into one another, getting you incremental value throughout the way, um, if you break up that effect with a removal spell, they've already gotten some benefit out of that, so that's like worse for you as the player playing the spell. Um, and if you beat, if you smash my Dr. Spacetime before I get to play my Thinking Cap, I might as well have not played it. A nice thing about it is that it is a pretty predictable move, because... As a brainy hero, I guess, like, maybe rocket science would be another thing you would want to save that many brains for, as far as uh, what to do in the middle of the game there. If I was facing a brainy hero and they passed with four mana remaining, rocket science would be kind of at the top of my list. If they were the kind of deck that I thought was going to just, like, sit there and draw cards, I might be thinking about something like triplication, um, or I might be thinking about an expensive environment, you know, maybe they've got a laser base alpha, or maybe they've got something else like that. So, like, you definitely would expect some kind of big thing to show up in the tricks phase, um, which means that you can kind of try to route around that as the plant player. I think Professor Brainstorm, in particular, 
when they're holding four brains in the trick phase, the first threat I think of is chickening. Sure. Because I'm preparing for the, the absolute worst of uh, getting owned by a by a field clear. Like that bluff will often lead me to uh, to to play slower and give them a chance to play their thinking cap and not have to suffer too much on board from it. I guess weed spray also would run a similar thing in Rustvolt. Yeah, and and something that is beneficial for the zombie player in that way is that the kind of deck that would want to play a dirtily card draw spell like Thinking Cap is the kind of deck that would also want to play sweepers to be able to catch up after their opponent filled up the board. So you're able to actually like follow up on your threat to say, hey, look, I'm holding up weed spray. You better not play some dudes. If they then play some dudes, like trying to make you have it, which is often the correct play, if your only answer to winning is to just blitz them down, um, you're able to actually punish them. Whereas like if you're kind of relying on them just being scared of your removal spell, um, then then you know your your success as a dirtily deck player is going to be a little bit more problematic. Let's talk about the fact that this card will proc a Dino Roar twice. Okay, that's legit. I hadn't really thought about that, but that is very true. The Conjure cards do proc Dino Roar, as we all said, or as we all know. Um, so let's see what Dino Roars we got available. Uh, I think the ones that are most impactful are probably the Stompadon and maybe the Tankalosaurus. The thing with Stompadon in that way is that Stompadon wants your deck to be filled with creatures, and Thinking Cap kind of wants your deck to be full of tricks. Um, because, or at least conjuration, if you're doing the space time thing, and I guess you couldn't be doing. Never mind, you couldn't be playing uh, space time if you were doing space time and stomp it on and uh, conjure brainy card and, and think cap eye. So <clears throat> backing that up, if you're playing a hardy hero, um, then your enabler is going to be zombology teacher, and zombology teacher and thinking cap itself kind of want you to play tricks, and stomp it on benefits you from having a handful of creatures. And that is kind of doesn't really work as well. I think that Tankalosaurus is a lot better in that way because Tankalosaurus is something that controls the board. And if you're trying to control the board, then uh, then you are going to have more time to like to noodle around and play your spells. Uh, so I think that uh, Tankalosaurus is kind of a better better choice in that way. I guess my concern with Tankalosaurus is that you would need to run it in a Professor Brainstorm deck. And Tankalosaurus belongs to Infinity and Infinity alone in this house for all of uh, the, sure. the deadly things. Like, it is definitely not the best use of this card to uh, to try and partner with Thinking Cap. It's kind of interesting how the double Dino Roar proc isn't really that big of a deal anymore. Like, Mondo Bronto doesn't really care about getting two in a row. As far as Dinobot, Mecha, Dinobot, Zombot, Mechasaur goes... Uh, the big brainy one. Yeah. By that point, you can find a way to get two Dino Roars for less than four mana. Like, you're, you're, you can play Cosmic Scientist and Teleport. It's not nearly as valuable at that point in the game. Um, Raiding Raptor is interesting because you're able to drive its attack up really high, but you would probably need That's to true. couple it with something like a Smoke Bomb or some other kind of removal to make sure it can hit face. Right, and I mean, you know, the 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 fact that you would have sneaky support cards in that way. I mean, like, so the the um the thing with the Dino Roars on the zombie side is they're all on legendary cards, and they're all, with the exception of Raiding Raptor, pretty expensive. And so your support cards that kind of orbit around 
your big finishers and the thinking cap kind of will dictate a lot of what the deck looks like. You know, you were correct in saying that uh, Tankalosaurus really wants to belong to Infinity because Barrel of Barrels is just like his absolute perfect best friend. Give him Deadly, conjure a card, proc thing, deal two damage to something, Deadly makes it deadly, so the thing is dead no matter what it is. You don't have the ability to run those different combo pieces when um, you're playing a brainy hero because the um, the sort of a lot of the um, board control stuff in that way um, exists outside of the brainy class, and the the brainy Dino Roar legendary is like much clunkier, much more of a like if you've already won the game, slam this, and then they have no chance. So that is it's really going to come down to like what the meat and potatoes of the deck is going to be. Uh, so let's, I guess, talk about about um, what I'm going to be doing there. Uh, so for these last few weeks, Mike has done a project where he ladders with the card of the week. Uh, Mike has already hit Legend, um, and I have a bunch of uh, sparks I haven't spent. Uh, so I think that that is as good an excuse as any for me to craft some Zombology Teachers uh, and uh, have that plus my set of Dr. Spacetimes and set of Cheese Cutters and just sort of like take all these for a spin with thinking cap and sort of see what I see. Maximum back to school theming. Yeah, for sure. I think the one that I'm the most excited about at first is the Zombology Teacher one because I think that a Rust Bolt deck is probably going to have the best game against the uh, the aggro swarmy stuff that's going to kind of be able to get in underneath of your trickster stuff. Especially if someone's doing cycle cap stuff, having access to Planetary Gladiator is like four aces in the hole uh, for that uh, for that kind of strategy. And so I think that, you know, especially when you're able to have uh, going viral and escape through time in play, when uh, Zombology Teacher is making stuff cheaper, um, that makes me think that you're probably going to be able to be on the board more than your average Trickster deck. Probably would play pretty similarly to my um, Trick or Treater Immortitia that I played so much of. Um, and uh, I really like the gameplay style of that. So um, I'm excited to give that a shot. There are a lot of different directions you can go with Rust Bolt, too. There are plenty of really good small packages that work really well with each other that you can you can choose to go. Like, you can try the, the Miracle Rust Bolt way, running the paparazzis and going viral. Or you can, like, go super long game controly with all the removal and gladiator and escape through time. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can take a Rust Bolt out, and a lot of them involve it killing you with Trickster. Sort of like how my um, Immortitia trick-or-treater thing was kind of an exercise in trying to find the like minimum viable trickster package where I basically just had trick-or-treater, some removal spells, my superpower, and then that was it. And then trickster was like basically just being fed by that stuff. Um, and I was still able to like trickster was a little bit slower, but like definitely still fast enough that it was relevant in games. And uh, so sort of seeing like. How much support does Thinking Cap need? Does Thinking Cap even need to be paired with Trickster? Is it able to pack enough punch on its own that it doesn't need to sort of like feed into something bigger than it? It can kind of just sort of be your um, your versatile card draw spell that that gets you over the finish line, sort of in a way that you might expect triplication to if you're just like, well, just feed me a handful of stuff and I'll throw them all at my opponent and then they'll die. If you can play enough superpowers, your opponent's probably going to die. And so I'll sort of see see how important Zombology Teacher is to that, first of all, um, and just sort of see how well Thinking Cap plays in that sort of a role. I thought of a way for Professor Brainstorm to get a deadly Tanklosaurus. 
Oh, okay. You just need to play the give everything deadly superpower that you conjure off of your previous thinking cap for your Quasar Wizard. Okay, seems good. All right. Since we're recording on a short week this time, we're going to give you all uh, another week before we do the huge Giganticus Conjure breakdown. So if you haven't sent in a copy of your version of that deck yet, you can uh, email it to us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com or post it in any of the Reddit threads that we make. But uh, for this We've week... got a bunch of those already, though, and um, we're, we're excited that you guys are still stepping up to do that. And um, I was concerned that it maybe wasn't going to be a popular enough deck relative to cycle cap for us to have a good sample size, but the sample size is quite big, so I'm happy. Oh, good. I haven't actually gone through them yet. Uh, we have we have still fewer than um, than than cycle cap, but we haven't added hours into it yet, um, and we've got like in the low teens. Okay, cool. Um, but for this week, we're gonna do a mailbag. Yes, indeedy. Uh, we've got a handful of questions here, uh, sort of stretching to the beginning of August, and our first one comes from listener Yonash who um, gives us a little bit of a thought experiment, um, sort of thinking about what different formats might look like. Um, like, you know, whether we think that the card pool will eventually be big enough, you know, so that we can have rotation like Hearthstone style, or whether, um, you know, there would just be kind of other formats like the, um, like in Magic, there's like, you can only play commons, or, you know, you can only play this one kind of card or, or something like that. I, I've been trying to withhold judgment about whether we'll be getting an infinitely expanding card pool or not in this game. It's been kind of a while since we've seen some new cards. I'm still holding out hope that we will see some new booster releases at some point, though. Yeah, okay, so let's imagine that some new blog post has come out, and they're, uh, this is the announcement. They're announcing a standard format. And there are a lot of other things related that to that to address. So, like, first and foremost, it means that some of the older cards might get rotated out of being played on the regular ladder. In this case, probably just Galactic Gardens at first. So Probably at- some corset stuff, I think, like might get in Hearthstone they were like, you know, they, they kind of retire some of the cards from the corset. Um, you know, like Ice Block, everybody's sick of Ice Block after a million years of people cheating with that. You know, I, I would expect that they would probably do that with something from the corset of this game. Okay, but some powerful and interesting cards are going away. So, you know, first we need cards to replace those, so any kind of announcement like this would have to come with a a new set also being on the horizon, because when a game like this decides to go into a standard format style, you really need to keep the, the churn of content going. Like, they would definitely need to put out... Uh, expansions more frequently than they have been. I, I would say probably two a year at minimum. Yeah, I would, say, I would say two or three booster releases a year would probably be necessary for and, us to have a standard format. And you've also got to have a format where people can play with the old cards, right? Like, Agreed, yes. I don't think you can get away with not doing that because, you know, we, we all a bunch of us paid some real money for these virtual booster packs of awesome Galactic Gardens cards and we want to still be able to use them in some capacity. Probably in casual, though, that'll probably be what what casual becomes, like, the dumping ground for, for a while. Like, I can't imagine them making a second ladder. Yeah, um, and, you know, that's for that being for the reason that we've said a bunch of times before, is that they're probably just, you'd have matchmaking concerns where, like, the reason that there isn't 
like a tavern brawl that you can queue into against another random person um, is because like if you took half the people out of the ladder system, um, then suddenly matchmaking matchmaking might take forever. So so for all those reasons, I am skeptical of there ever being kind of a like standard extended wild, however you want to call it, uh, format, although I do still think we will be getting more cards. I would say, though, that if there was going to be another format, um, it would probably be something like Pauper, where you say um, either only N rares worth of stuff in your set, where like, you know, maybe only one copy of every legendary kind of thing, or just like full on only commons and uncommons as your ability to as your as your deck making potential. The other thing on the table that needs to be addressed as far as uh, rotating cards out is uh, the event cards. Right. Like, we're at the point where we've seen some weekly event cards repeat, and we honestly don't know whether they're going to keep repeating or if eventually, like, there will slowly become new ones or if there will be, like, a, a series two of event cards that are, like, I don't know, light blue colored instead of orange and like all then just have all of the event cards also retired which there are some very big very meta shaping games there. in there things like Shamrocket and forget me not and defensive end and like like all kinds of really strong influential cards and like as much as it bugs me that we're going to run out of card of the week content pretty soon because we'll be coming up on uh having covered every card in the set not that far from now but I like the idea that that set of powerful cards is available to people who join the game after they've come and gone. Yeah, you know, so I, I've actually kind of gone back and forth on that, you know. Um, I definitely want to see new event cards. I think the event card, like, the the way they do those giveaways, I think, is a... Um, now that we're at the point where it costs just a flat 1,200 tickets per card... Um, I think that that's a very generous way to get powerful, interesting cards in the hands of of players um, without without being unscrupulous in the the sort of the distribution. And I think it's very good that someone can show up, like we were saying when you did your free to play run, um, that like if you show up at the right time and you get the good event cards, um, that you can really sort of like build your collection a lot more than you otherwise would in a game like this. But you know how to weigh those two equities against each other where you've got like this kind of long-term new player buoy to say, here's some cards. They're never going to change. You're never going to have to like chase after the cards that got printed five years ago. Um, especially if we can't have a standard rotation, like we were just describing that, like that probably is very good for the long-term health of the game even if it means that we have to not see new event cards and they would have to come up with, you know, maybe, maybe just new event cards after that would have to come from the cash shop or, or just like have to, would have to be in booster releases. Um, I, I honestly don't know what the best, like most healthy course of action for them would be in that case. I don't know, but it definitely involves doing something. <laughs> it definitely involves us seeing more stuff. Um, you know, so I mean, come on guys. But um, in terms of, creating a um in terms of creating new formats and stuff i would say that the event cards probably if if you were just like commons and uncommons and event cards the event cards would just dominate that format right there would be a lot of um 
heavy hitters from there, yeah. Like, especially without any gold rares, yeah. Yeah, so I guess if, if you were to try to do that, you would probably have to exclude those two. And, like, as as interesting as that kind of format is, where you're like, all the most powerful stuff, you can't play with it, and said you have to play at this sort of, like, flatter power level where you have to do a lot more fair stuff. Um, as interesting as that is towards, like, really enfranchised players that really think about the strategy and stuff, um, that just isn't as fun for, like, a, for a large variety of people. Yeah, and I'm worried that the first iteration of a new laddering set either, like, some kind... However they choose to restrict deck building, like, I'm concerned their first attempt at it will not be that great of one, and I feel like you kind of need to test out a lot of different kinds of systems to see which weird ones are fun to play with. Right. So you're, you know, kind of turning it into Tavern Brawl, but, like, also, like, open beta. Yeah. There are all kinds of cool self-imposed restrictions I can think of in my head that I would be curious about what deck building would be like under those circumstances, but, like, how do I know which of all of these ones I'm thinking of is the most fun? Very true. And so, ultimately, I think the closest thing that we might ever get to that is an arena mode, you know, if you were to actually draft a deck. Um, I could see them being interested in fracturing the latter player base for that kind of thing, especially if it costs you gems to play, you know? And, like, that's the kind of thing that I could see them feeling incentivized to do, um, in which case a ladder environment or an arena environment would be totally different. Um, and like, you know, I think it's kind of outside the scope of A, this question, but B, what we have time for right now to really sp- fully speculate on that, you know, that would end up being probably more of a, um, more of a like flatter power level commons and uncommons matter more kind of format. I wonder if heroes would get rotated out too, because, uh, HG and Beta Caratina are from the Galactic Gardens time. Mm, that's possible. They probably wouldn't do that though. Um, and like, unless if the heroes were like so problematic that they couldn't design stuff around them, they would probably just nerf them rather than rotate them. Oh yeah, and if they rotate out Galactic Gardens, the next set needs to have a bunch of new environments in it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's yeah, like rotation causes all kinds of problems that that kind of need a lot of real heavy thinking to figure out how to do it right. And like, so it's not something that they would just like, oh, formats, sure, here you go. Rotation, sure, here you go. Oops, we ruined the game. Um, like, you know, that's not a kind of decision that they would take lightly. Yeah, I would hope not. Anyways, uh, thank you, listener Jonas, for sending this in. Our next listener mail comes from listener Elliot, who writes in this time to, uh, give us a couple of hero suggestions for, uh, new characters they would like to see. They want a, uh, a pumpkin guy, who would be a, a solar guardian hero. Which, I, it's a, that's a, um, a good tribal suggestion, you know? That's like a, that's a, you could have a root happening there. It'd be a good excuse to get some roots into the solar class. Yeah, <laughs> if we devote enough heroes to roots, maybe one of them will take off. <laughs> and uh, the other hero they're right in is, uh, they want a corn hero who would be a solar kabloom guy. Yeah, just like a, like a Colonel Corn who got superpowers. Yeah, with some, uh, some, with a, a splash damage superpower that works like ZMAX old one. Yeah, the uh, or not not old one, but like ZMAX one, where you shoot one thing and other things take damage. Yeah, the the example that listener Elliot suggests here is like three damage to a thing and two damage next door, 
instead of three damage to a thing and one damage everywhere else, which would um, be super powerful, uh, probably about as powerful as um, as Zmex, which I think like Zmex is really good, but I don't think it's too good. Would I, would you say that? It's definitely better than it used to be. You remember the old Zmex signature super where it would do two damage in three random lanes? Oh no, I did not remember that. That was like during the beta, I guess. Uh, after the beta, it was. Remember when Zmech and Brainstorm got uh, some of their superpowers switched? No, I don't remember that. Yeah, well, okay, that? so um, before Galactic Gardens. Oh, okay. Um, but it used to be that like Brainstorm had far and away the highest zombie winning percentage, and Zmech had the lowest one. So hmm. to balance that out, they took the lightning bolt that Brainstorm used to have and gave it to Zmech, and the the summon two dancers used to be the Zmech one. Okay, well, that that fits better anyway. And the old signature super was, like, Grass Knuckles' is one, but it did but the damage randomly. in random lanes. So, yeah. Yeah, so this is pretty substantially better than that. Um, yeah, so that is, that's interesting. Um, and then, it, like, they suggest a plant version of summoning, um, which I think is probably, like, the, the, like, make a random two-drop um, in, a, in a ground lane, which is, hmm... Um, I, I don't know how solar or kabloom those are. That feels like more of a um, that feels like more of a mega grow thing to me personally. But um, that's uh, certainly a balanced superpower. As you know, reason that plants shouldn't be able to do that. I could see making like a three one creature, because like a three one that cost one is a plant stat line that I feel like we're gonna see one of these days. Just in the name of power creep. And... Oh, sort of um, like in the style of. Uh, HG's superpower where like one of them is just a creature. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, reasonable. I, I am a fan of those kinds of new superpowers and uh the other thing I really like to see in uh new hero superpowers is uh a color pair who doesn't normally have a way to deal with gravestones suddenly having like a destroy a gravestone draw a card superpower. Like that mm. will win me over every time. That would be cool. That would be pretty narrow though. You know? I mean like the um with with the the creature superpowers for for uh, beta carotene and for HG, those both sort of point you in a strategic direction. So like you know you conjure a root, you move a guy, um, or in in HG's case uh, you want to play environments. And so like that's all things that you have the power to build your deck to maximize. Um, and like in that case, if your opponent didn't have a gravestone, then you'd be SOL. I guess you could be like a creature that like comes in and eats a gravestone, like a one mana two two that comes in and eats a gravestone. That would be pretty nasty. Oh yeah. Probably more of a guardian thing than a than a solar flare colors thing. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. I feel like giving guardian another answer to gravestones. Like 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 why? Yeah, I guess. I mean, color color pies though, man. Like you you can't bleed the color pie too much, or it stops to be stops to be meaningful. Well, sometimes you gotta bleed it just to make sure it's still alive. Wow, that's dark and mean. Listener Elliot also writes in to, uh, <laughs> to mention their new laddering challenge that they've come up with, where they are trying to climb with uh, with monotype decks, where they only use uh, one color of cards. That uh, is something that I also incidentally did a little bit of last week. And they all, they include a, uh, a Kabloom Spadao and a Mega Grow Green Shadow. And the Kabloom Spadao looks really strong because it's a, a Berry Spadao with a of odds and ends and different additions here. There's like a small mushroom package between Shroom for Two, Shelf Mushroom, and uh, Gloom Shroom, which I like. That's a very small 
set of cards that like packs a very enormous punch. Yeah, and another good use of a, a leftover one one for mushroom for two. Oh yeah, and he's running the uh, the zero mana puff shroom two and. I uh, I made a, a new version of Cycle Cap based on all of the data we got, where I uh, included a couple of Gloom Shrooms, and the nice thing is that if you're including the zero mana Puff Shroom, you're kind of giving the Gloom Shroom team up, because yeah. you can just play the team up guy anywhere and then evolve it right there, so that is a, totally. a big, uh, big boon to the five drop. Yeah, I had a Captain Combustible deck that did that, and that was, that was a common way to win games. Um, and so something else that's interesting about this, um, the the mono-red Kabloom deck that, that Elliot has here is that it's playing Zapricot, the four ma- the three-mana 4-2 vanilla uh, basic fruit plant, um, which is like, you know, something that you play when you're just trying to, like, shove, you know? You're just trying to put as much damage in front of them as you can, um, but it, like, doesn't really have synergy with the rest of the of the cards going on, and it's just, like, basically... F- fragile lots of stats that's an interesting idea um in the in the write-up uh listener elliot attaches a fairly substantial write-up to both the kabloom deck and the the megagro deck and uh what he has to say about that is zapricot got the spot over poison ivy because i wanted something that would hit hard i could afford to lose and wouldn't feel like oh it's a berry i have to try and save it for the synergy it worked really well in this role and could, could could distract the zombie player if i didn't have all my berry or shroom pieces lined up in time the others were filler that worked. The others were filler that worked well as complements. Uh, so I think that that is pretty cool. Yeah, I like that explanation too because uh, a poison ivy after that first turn uh, loses a lot of its value if you can't evolve it. And I like the idea of like, oh, okay, no, I have some non barriers that I can just throw in here to to get on the field right away. And uh, like looking at the kabloom uh, three cost creatures, there's not a lot of options here unless you want to do like imitator or invasive species shenanigans or run punish room but really I don't think there's enough mushrooms in here to justify punish room I would agree with that and yeah like there's not really a lot of other three cost choices like yeah sure maybe a couple if there were four velociraptor hunters that might be better than three of the zapricots but uh yeah it's not a bad choice at all yeah there's not quite enough team up stuff happening here to really make um uh chromagnolia pull its weight um and i think that cosmic mushroom is like a much grindier card even like it does give a power boost to the thing that it makes but that it it just isn't as effective when you're trying to shove and uh based on this write-up it seems that this deck is trying to just shove so um so i think that that's a good idea sometimes you just want to do four damage um, and then there is a Mega Grow deck as well, uh, which is more or less mono peas. It's basically a pea deck featuring a couple random good legendaries. So there's some Captain Cucumbers and some Bananasaurus Rexes. Uh, and then in support of the Bananasaurus Rexes and just to sort of be just like kind of a weenie, uh, we have a, a playset of half bananas as well. And uh, so something that Elliot notes about that is that for the P deck, you don't have any tribal synergy with the superpowers. Um, you know, you've got freeze a guy but there's no freezing stuff elsewhere in the p tribal thing um i mean nor nothing that that benefits from freezing something in a different way um get the stat boost but doesn't have any extra benefits with peas and if you have a torchwood in the middle lane even if you play green shadows ultimate which is a p tribal card it doesn't do two extra damage because it's not actually a creature that's attacking in that lane it's just sort of a spell 
yeah, so there's there's some interesting stuff going on here, and uh, I think that this is probably about as good of a job as you could do if your plan was to um, make a make a mono green deck. Yeah, and um, I guess ideally, thinking of this as a not a mono deck for a minute, I would probably try and run Planet of the Grapes over uh, Coffee Grounds for my environment, just because sure. uh, your big heavy hitters already have double strike, but. Uh, but if you're going monotype, then uh, you definitely want to go with Coffee Rounds as your environment of choice, and not Red Planted. Those oh are, yeah, for sure. Red Planted is just Red Planted is just kind of a uh, kind of a casual card, I think. Those are the only two they have, right? Off the top of my head, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, a lot of really powerful things on the high end here. Like you know, Plant Food is great, and also your main form of removal. Uh, Sweet Pea also works really well as like a, a lot of stuff to pack into one card, having a, a good 2-cost two 2-3, two, and also being able to move a thing out of the way of your Cucumber or your uh, your Gadling Pea. Uh, yeah, and so I the, these write-ups are in the show notes in a paste bin, um, and so I would encourage you all to look at them. One of the interesting things uh, that's also in there is the, um, the breakdown of wins and losses with each of the um, decks, or each of the hero versions of the decks, so... Um, my understanding from what Elliot has written here is that he made the same deck and then just played it in four different heroes because it was all monocolor. And so for the Kabloom deck, the the overall record was 48 and 13 uh, with the various breakdowns going on uh, between the different heroes. And that for the Mega Grow numbers, it was 55 and 18. Uh, and so those are pretty good win rates. Elliot, um, as a longtime listener and a frequent poster of good decks, is I'm sure quite a skilled player. Uh, and so some some amount of these stats probably uh, are wrapped up in um, player skill. And so, like, you know, you could kind of show up in, like, a junky old jalopy and still end up beating some people. But it looks like that if you've got the tools to make a deck work uh, in terms of your skill, then then these will can do well for you. Yeah, and I like that they've got some legendaries in them, but not an overwhelmingly high number of them. Like, it, the, uh, the Kabloom deck in particular, uh, one, two, three... Four, five, it has six of six of them in there, and that is yeah. uh, pretty low in a in a in a game where you make a forty deck card, or a forty card deck. Yeah, and and the um the legendaries in the Kabloom deck are kind of like not where as much of a percentage of the power points are concentrated as they are for the Mega Grow deck, I think. So you know, for in the Kabloom deck, your legendaries are reincarnation. Velociradish Hunter and Gloom Shroom. Gloom Shroom is very powerful. It can do a lot of nasty stuff with it. Uh, Velociradish Hunter is very good, but it's kind of like incremental kind of, you know, it's not you're not going to slam it and then the game is going to turn around, whereas the cards that you're going to slam and have the game turn around are your super rares like Strawberryan and Sergeant Strongberry and so on. Whereas in the Mega Grow deck, kind of a lot of the oomph that the deck is able to throw at you does come in the form of the legendary. So like Gatling P is a 4x in this deck. Gatling P is probably pretty necessary as a 4x if you were going to be like entirely mono Mega Grow with like maximum magnitude tribal on the 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 pea shooters, you know. Um, and then of course Banasaurus Rex and Captain Cucumber can just kind of steal games if they are able to run away with them. Um, and so if you took the legendaries out of there, you probably have a tougher time than if you took the legendaries out of the red deck. But you know, hey. Yeah, looks like a good set of decks so far, and. Uh... Good luck with your uh, monotype challenge. Yeah, it's another interesting deck building restriction that uh, you'll probably end up seeing on the show more times in the future. Yeah, and I'm all for uh, self-imposed laddering challenges. I uh, I don't know if I'm going to do the 
card of the week thing again next month because I kind of like that and like it's a cool way to get a little more out of card of the week but like finding more ways to the self-imposed challenges uh the better yeah and you know just just on that particular note for card of the week i think that um even if we stop doing the weekly breakdown of the card itself for card of the week i think like building decks with the card and seeing what they do is probably like gonna still end up being fresh even when we do start getting cards of the week that we've already done on the show um you know because uh we only started doing that like very very recently Mm. our next piece of mail comes from listener kendall who writes in as a relatively new free-to-play player saying that they joined the game about a month back which is about two months back at this point but uh they found our podcast and it's been great to listen to as they try to figure it out and uh, they thank us for that so you're welcome Thank you, Lister Kendall. Yes, and they say, as a uh, primarily a free-to-play player, I'm struggling with how to spend my gems. So far, I've spent 750 on rows and a thousand twice on a pair of multi-packs, one from, tri- from one from premium and one from Triassic. And the question they ask is: Is there a better way to be spending your gems initially, or do you keep down the road of buying heroes when they are available and then buying packs? Also, if I were to spend money. What is the best initial investment in our opinion? Thanks, thanks, guys, and keep up the good work on the podcast. Uh, Ken. Okay, so there's two questions here, and I think there is really a third kind of lurking below the surface. So to answer the first question, I would say that uh, the best use of gems is packs rather than heroes at first because, uh, A, if you buy pre- uh, core set packs, you'll get the heroes out of the packs, uh, and that is one of the things that is good to spend your gems on initially. And that uh, buying heroes, maybe at first, if you like, if there's a particular hero that you really like and you want to do that, um, then go ahead and buy that hero. But that, um, generally speaking, the way that you want to, um, sort of the contour that your free-to-play run took, Mike, was that you sort of found some heroes that you had good decks for and then just concentrated on those and crafted cards for those heroes. Is that is that accurate? Would you say? Yeah, that was a very important decision early on, based on the first couple of rare cards I got. Was uh, deciding to stick with Kabloom heroes and focus around like a good berry core. That way, I I wanted to make sure I had like a a competitive deck I could play my uh, 10x multiplier heroes with, and I think that is the big determining point as far as when to buy a hero because. If you have that thing where your plant hero alternates back and forth between two pairs of oh, colors yeah. every other week, then yeah, you might want to buy that hero that you're getting every other week because I think having a way to get a 10x multiplier on the, the bonus meter is a, an important way to grind up for the event card every week and to get more sparks early on. Um, but I probably wouldn't do that until after buying three or four multi-packs first yeah so the um there's a lot of um meat and potatoes in the core set in the the premium packs uh that i that will do you well um especially like sort of tribal stuff that is really foundational for the more advanced cards that came later um and so you know when we're talking about berries in the premium set you got sergeant strongberry was you know probably the the most powerful individual card in that strategy, um, and then when you go to Triassic Triumph, 
you get Strawberrian, which is this thing that's sort of like the key that fits into the lock. And so if you if you have both of those, then like they end up being way better than either of them would be individually. Generally speaking, you would look for areas like that, where like where are the cards that work the best with the most other cards that are out there in the pool. For my money, I would say that that's the premium set and Galactic Gardens. I think you want to buy your first Galactic Gardens multi-pack pretty early on, maybe even as the second multi-pack you get, because having access to a handful of environments is really important, because you can really feel when your opponent has environments to play and you just have nothing to do about it. That can be uh, pretty hindering for a, for a new player trying to climb the ladder for the first time. I definitely agree with that. Um, and there are a handful of very good ones at Common as well. Um, so Spikeweed Sector, um, as we talked about a whole bunch, definitely fights above its weight class in terms of the amount of value you get out of it for a uh, for a two-cost thing. Um, and uh, Graveyard on the zombie side, I think, is a very good addition to a early game or, or a new player repertoire as well. Yeah, really, anything that costs one or two is something you can probably just throw into whatever deck you're trying to run out there. And so that that sort of leads um, into what I think the sort of the third question is here, um, and that that is, what commons should you craft as a new player? So like, gems are sort of the 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 form of itchy and scratchy money that is the most obvious to you because you know there's a counter there and it's your big reward for doing all the stuff. Um, but the other currency that you're managing is your sparks that you use to craft stuff. And so. Um, a lot of your recommendations, Mike, after your uh, your climb to legend with your free to play account, was on like what cards pulled the best weight in terms of commons that you crafted. Um, and so, like, do you have any information to share in that regard? Uh, yeah. the The first two that jump to mind to me immediately are Barrel of Barrels and Apple Saucer, and uh, both of those are from the third set, I believe. Uh, Apple Saucer is from Galactic Gardens. Right. Okay. Uh, Barrel of Barrels is Colossal Fossils. Okay, yes, but either way, from, from non-premium later sets, so... Correct. Having those early on at your disposal is very nice. Barrel of Barrels can help you trade all of the wimpy little cheap things in your deck to use them to kill whatever big, scary legendaries you're up against. And uh, Apple Saucer is just a very nice body to have reliably. Like, there's... In the, uh, the, the decks to start out, there's a lot of understated creatures like buff shroom and things like that and just having a 3-2 for 2 is a very good rate and and pretty reliable and the fact that you can uh, then uh, make it a strike through thing to help you finish off your opponent later is really nice and it also um, another card if you're going the like solar flare uh, strike through route then you probably also want to make a very angry because that is a way to add a lot of damage onto your board very quickly and if you uh, if you get things like a shroom for two or anything with team up, you're able to get an extra four attack in that lane, and it also works with all of your stuff with strike through as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think um, Apple Saucer particularly has salience since the uh, the hero that Kendall said they bought was Rose, um, and so uh, Apple Saucer I think is right at home in Rose deck. Yeah, and I would also look into getting an Elderberry as well if you're looking for a rare totally. to craft. That's the first 100%. one I'd go for. Uh, yeah, and there's. I feel like I see people asking this question a lot, and I don't think there is a um, like a resource on the Reddit for to point people to in that way. Like, 
is there like a compendium of like I mean earlier in the like before we started recording the show you you lamented that when we did the class warfare segments um, we focused on like expensive stuff to craft instead of cheap stuff to craft um, so maybe like we should maybe we should throw something like that together like cheap crafting recommendations for super, yeah like super e- new yeah each of us make a like at some point each of us comes up with a one like uncommon, a common, an uncommon from every from every set to, yeah like a and maybe a rare. Yeah, like an uncommon and a rare from every like because the commons, the co- common just means like basic in this game. So yeah. an, an uncommon and a rare from every class to craft as a new player. Yeah, I uh, I would love to take on that project. That sounds great. Okay, that sounds cool. All right, so thank you, listener Kendall, for uh, for the very nice question. Oh, and as far as uh, if they were to spend money, what's the best initial investment? Uh, good oh, question. Um, basically more of that same stuff we said so if you're going to spend money um, I think the first thing if you're going to buy packs for money first thing I would say is probably buy probably the premium set because you get the heroes and because there's a lot of good stuff in there um, the, the premium set legendaries like are, are generally speaking pretty on the money there's lots of really good ones that stay really good even after you have uh, fancy decks full of stuff so I'd say either that or gardens do you think you'd go for for sixty packs or twenty three? Uh, I mean, it depends on what you can afford. The sixty packs is definitely a way better deal. If you can afford to drop forty bucks on this game, then you're going to get a lot more than if you drop the sixteen bucks for the twenty three packs. Especially since you get the bonus legends um, when you do that. Oh right, the bonus legendaries. Yeah, that is uh, a impor- that is an important keyword when deciding whether to throw actual money at that. Or you could also um, wait. Mean, like you could wait okay. until Kitchen Sink Zombie comes back into the store and. Uh, and buy that too. Yeah, you can maybe do that. I, I would I would avoid um, the the two thousand gem hero packs um, because two thousand gems for eleven packs that go only to your particular hero that you choose is way worse of a rate than spending one thousand on packs that can go to anybody um, because there are some very high value crafts to make at the common or at the uncommon and rare level, you know. Yeah, I think that it's kind of an illusion of value to to get all your to pay twice as much to have all your cards go to your favorite hero. Yeah, definitely never never buy the single hero packs. Um, have you ever bought gems? Uh yeah, I have bought gems sometimes. So sometimes, like for um for holidays and stuff, there'll be a deal on that. Sometimes, like some of the um, a lot of times the cash shop event cards will say it'll be like you get the event card. And you get you get like a pack's worth of stuff, and you get five hundred gems, kind of thing. And there'll be like a bundle in there for that. I've done that before. Okay, yeah, but like you've never clicked on the blue tab on the right and bought some gems. Um, I have done that before. Yeah, I mean, like, so if if I was say maybe I had seven hundred gems, um, and I wanted to get a pair of multi packs, um, and I didn't want to drop enough money to get like the the cheapest cash only option. I just wanted to have 2,000 gems so I could buy a 22-pack block. Um, I would buy the, like, the $10, 1,300 gem thing. Okay. I think I bought gems when I was trying to get huge Giganicus, and I kept opening up packs and not getting them and oh, kept yeah. throwing more yeah, money was, away was, buying gems. That was a thing. That yeah. I Thankfully, I got HG and Beta Caratina pretty quick. All right. Thank you, Ken. Uh, all right, and our next question comes from listener Adam, uh, who's wondering if we had any new card type ideas. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't mean, like, keywords like Dino War or Amphibious, but, like, actual new types 
like trick and environment. Um, and I think the short answer to that question is no, um, because that would, it's not just that you have to have an idea for a new card type, you kind of have to have an idea that is best executed by a new card type and not just like a subtype of an existing thing. Uh, and I, I don't think I have any of those. Well, um, I'm not sure if it counts as a new idea because it is something that I'm ripping off from Hearthstone, but I really like the idea of the quest card that they put in where it is a, a, a card that you run one of that costs one mana that is guaranteed to show up in your opening hand and you play it and it gives you some other thing you're trying to play out in order to achieve your win condition, either playing a certain amount of this type of card or or uh, anything, number of things like that. Like the idea of having like a like a permanent aura, I guess, like something yeah. that lasts on the field longer than in an environment, I think is a, a direction to take things. Um, I guess we would also have to figure out what shape the cards would be, because that has been uh, <laughs> something they've been careful to uphold in that creatures are square and tricks are round and environments are hexagonal. So I guess a quest card might be like a triangle... Could be. I mean, if it was just a trick that, that did a weird thing, it could just be a trick shape. So the thing, um, I, I do think the quests are cool in Hearthstone, and I think that you could definitely do that kind of thing in PvZ. Part of what makes that hard, though, um, part of why we've also never seen secrets in PvZ, um, is that you have to have a way for people to know that that effect is happening on the battlefield. And as so far, even though we have some effects that kind of take place off in the ether in this game, the kind of like the here be dragons uh, layers effects, you know, like reincarnation or um, what's his name, intergalactic warlord that uh, sort of like creates an invisible effect that just kind of is out there and you never get to click on anything to know that it's there but that all the cards, you know that interact with it, key off of it being there. If you were going to have a quest, you'd have to be able to see it on the screen somehow and if you were going to be able to see it on the screen somehow that would mean that you'd have to come up with some UI for it. And if you had to come up with some UI for it, that means you'd have to fit it on the battlefield. And the battlefield is honestly pretty tight right now. You know, you got the lanes, you got the hero portraits, you got your hand size, which they not too long ago made bigger than it was. Think about like when you were editing those videos, like we were playing against each other and you wanted to have my hand on the screen at the same time. And like how you kind of had to just like put my hand over my face. And then that was just... That had to be that. Um, yeah, that's like the only real estate around is just superimposing some kind of icon you can tap in front of the hero's face. So I guess you could you could like stick it under the mana count, like under the brains or under the sun. You know, you could... Um, you could stick it behind could, the block meter. Put it behind the block meter. You know, maybe you have like a... Um, like a ring that goes around the block meter somehow. I don't know. Or like it becomes um, a different color and then you can like hold your thumb down on that and it'll give you a little tooltip pop-up. In a game I played quite a bit of before Hearthstone existed, Soulforge. Uh, Soulforge was really big on um, just sort of sticking extra effects behind a, a colorful exclamation point. If a card had an ability given to it by another card um, or, a, or a player had like a global aura that was attached to them, they would just basically stick an exclamation point on the object, and if you wanted to know what was going on with that creature, you tapped on the exclamation point, and it would tell you. Um, and so that was kind of trusting the effect, or trusting the player to like do a lot of work to learn what was going on, um, which I think 
you know, in this sort of uh, school of game design that PBZ seems to follow, which is like, keep it simple, stupid kind of thing, they would err on the side of not doing that. So who knows? I'm kind of surprised that they even came up with environments as a new kind of card type. Like, I I really didn't think that we would see anything beyond just uh, creatures and tricks. Well, non-creature permanents are, like, definitely a thing that are capable of existing in games like this. Hearthstone came up with a pretty elegant solution to that, which is just like, yeah, you've got a little thing, and it's on the board, and it takes up a creature slot, and it just doesn't have stats. And uh, they've, they've kind of kept that effect very rare, but, you know, I think that I think that they came up with a very elegant solution for that in PvZ, uh, being able to just sort of like, you know what, you've only got one room, you only got room for one of them in a lane, and, uh, you know, you have to overwrite them if you want to make a new one, and they're, like, very colorful, you can always tell that they're there, you know, and I think that uh, for, the, for the auras and stuff, you'd have to come up with some kind of visual metaphor that, that really hung together, it, that wasn't just, like, an exclamation point that you had to tap on. I don't know. I bet they could probably figure something out. There's definitely lots of weird stuff that happens in the PvZ tower defense game, you know? Like environmental effects. Yeah, I wonder if we'll, someday we'll see, like, a, you know what? Flood that empty lane. Yeah, the tide's coming in. There's yep. water showing up here now. Second water lane, go. Uh, yeah, well, uh, thank you, listener Adam, for uh, that question. Even though we only kind of answered it. And uh, last up to round things out, we got a couple of people writing in to... Uh, point out little weird game interactions and uh, first up from listener Austin who notes that when you evolve a or, f- or fuse a zombie in a grave lane it will not go into a gravestone uh, which I think is the correct way to do that I'm glad that graveyard doesn't find extra ways to act stupid yeah yeah you know I mean the the triggered ability for when you come out of a gravestone is different from fusion you know and so like if you just created a gravestone you wouldn't actually get the fusion by the way I think the rules work or at least my assessment of how the rules work and you gotta wait another turn to even be able to play a thing on that since you can't evolve it on a gravestone you gotta wait for something to pop up out of there agreed and the other one they write in to say is that when a transfiguration is damaged with a Sharktronic sub in play, it will transform and then get destroyed. If we think about it in uh, magic terms, um, you know, like if something, say, leaves the battlefield and comes back, the uh, the game, like, forgets about what the thing used to be. So if, like, it had some kind of effect that said, kill this at the end of the turn, and then it left play and then came back in, the game treats it as a new object. And uh, I guess the sort of magic of a digital card game lets you uh, keep track of that kind of business and that transforming from transfiguration like doesn't stop you from getting killed. I wonder if, if the shark bot were in lane one whether the transfiguration would get destroyed before it transformed. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. Hmm. That might end up being like Space Cowboy where like effects on me happen first and then effects on lane one happen after that. Yeah, I don't know. I do own Transfigurations. I bet we could find out. Hmm. I don't want to right now, though. No. Oh, yeah, and there is one that uh, I learned this week, and it is that uh, if you play an Onion Rings while you have a Reincarnation in your hand, the next turn, whatever the Reincarnation turns into, will lose the Onion Rings buff. Yeah, that is a bummer. Um, I've had that kind of thing happen before. Similarly, when you, um, if you have a um, Reincarnation that turned into an Astrocado Pit, which is awesome... Um, because you get to play it on turn two, and uh, and then you know if they don't kill it, you just have an astrocado. When the when the astrocado comes out of the pit, 
um, it loses the plus one plus one from reincarnation because it it thinks it's a different card. Right. Yeah. Same with the uh, the sun shroom that grows. Yes, for sure. But yeah, uh, thank you, listener Austin. We love hearing little uh, little weird tidbits like that. Uh, and we got one more of those, kind of a quirk of the app itself, uh, from listener Mark, who uh, sends uh, his greetings from the Netherlands. So that's cool that we got uh, some listeners up there saying that when you're doing the um, the daily challenge and you you fail the daily challenge, so you like try again with the ad button. That uh, a lot of times you can click close on the ad, uh, and it'll be like, "Hey, are you sure you don't want to get your reward for watching an ad?" And you can say, "Yes, I don't want my reward." Uh, and then you'll still be able to do the challenge anyway, even though you didn't finish the ad, um, which uh, is pretty funny. Oh yeah, I, I didn't know that. So. Uh... More the wiser for me as well. Uh, this seems like the kind of thing that uh, your mileage will vary based on what kind of phone you're playing around with. Definitely, you know, like it's it doesn't look like so we've got iPhones. It doesn't look like the ad that happens comes through the like Apple iAd interface. So it's probably the same. Um, it's probably the same code that like loads an of ad video off of an EA server somewhere. I bet we could find out with, like, Wireshark or something. But that, like, depending on what the ads are allowed to do on your phone, you know, maybe, like, the ad might not be able to communicate with the app well enough um, on either iOS or Android to be able to, like, fully register whether you did it or not. I don't know. But that is cool. Uh, Listener Mark notes that it doesn't really work with the gem ad button. So, like, I'm sitting here. Right here, you did the daily challenge, so I'll click the ad button uh, for the gems. Blah, 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 coming up. Tap the close. Yes, I really don't want to do it. Uh, and I did not get the gems. So, yeah, so that didn't work. They're tightest security yet. <laughs> that nickel worth of itchy and scratchy money is not coming up off this floor without a fight, sir. I can't even get my ad to load, so I guess they're doing better than I am right now. Uh, well, hey. All right, so that's the end of this batch of listener mail. Thank you all so much for continuing to send in stuff. Um, and uh, a handful of these came from uh, the, the first week of August, so uh, thank you all for your patience in, uh, in us coming to, uh, to finally do another mailbag. Um, and uh, we do love hearing from you uh, about kind of whatever you've got to say. So if you want to send us some info, send it to shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. We also have our uh, YouTube page, uh, Shroom for Two Podcast, on there. Uh, and so you can uh, leave comments on our videos and stuff to, uh, to tell us about those. And, uh, and yeah, we're all over the Reddit, so, uh, so if you see a post from us, um, just uh, check us out. Yeah, and um, we're coming up on one year of doing Shroom for Two, and we've got uh, at least one big thing in the works that we'll uh, be happy to announce next time on Shroom for Two. And until then, I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. Have a great Labor Day time, everybody. Happy Fantasy Baseball Playoffs. <laughs> I'm getting my ass kicked right now. <laughs> okay, so they do like a weekly rounds of competition thing. So this is the first day of the first round. And um, the pitching ERA on my side has an e- as a ERA of 13.5, and, and my opponent has one of uh, about 10.8. And these numbers are both really grotesquely high. Okay. Usually it wants to be between like 2 and 4. Holy shit. Yeah. A little small sample size, a little just bad choices for which pitchers to put my faith in. So looking at that, um, it looks like your innings pitched is in the denominator, calculating the ERA. Yep. 
So that means that if you pick a pitcher that they end up like using very, very little, so like they pitch a few times, they get a few runs hit in, and then they only use them for one inning, um, that means that your ERA is going to be like Mondo. Yep. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's one guy who I have on my team as a, as a closer who got two guys out and also gave up two earned runs, and his ERA is 27. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's real bad. Yeah. Well, usually you want these uh, guys who are only on there for one inning to have an ERA of uh, uh, zero. zero. 